the stories. I could not believe when I was, all I wanted to know was like, what happened in the church? And then I got all this, that this all happened. Welcome to Thin Places, a podcast experiment from Zion Episcopal Church in Douglaston, Queens. I'm Father Carl Adair, the assistant rector here at Zion. On this season of the podcast, we're sharing stories about thin places in time. Stories of people who step across a threshold into a new chapter of their lives. And when they look back through that doorway, their past has a different shape than they'd thought. In our last episode, we talked about a threshold that Zion is crossing, as we grapple with our discovery that Zion's founding families enslaved at least 43 people. Mother Lindsay and I talked about how we are beginning to see our past differently, knowing that the Zion community was founded with wealth created by the forced labor of enslaved people, and that those children of God have been left out of Zion's history for almost 200 years. And today we have some other stories to hear, stories of others who have been left out of our history. Our guest today is Donna Barron. My name is Donna Gentle Spirit Barron. I'm a Matinecock Indian, and my roots are from um, Little Neck, right there on Northern Boulevard and Little Neck Parkway. My family has lived there since 1636, documented. Donna is the family historian of the Matinecock people and has written several books about the native peoples who lived on this land long before any European settlers arrived. Well, when I first started learning about my heritage, and then learning more about the area of where they all settled, where they all came from, I said, this is very important. This is how Little Neck started. There, there's always a beginning. And it didn't begin with the Dutch and the English here. It goes back further. And the further back that I researched and I learned about my own ancestors and how they contributed to the community, you know, and I wanted their their history, their legacy, I want, I want that to be told. I want that to be known. For decades now, Donna has been combing through records and gathering stories from elders around Long Island in pursuit of a more complete story of Native people on this land. It's a privilege for us to hear some of that story today and to hear some of Donna's own experiences as a Matinecock and as a Black woman. And it's also a necessary challenge for us to hear about Zion as it appears in the history and stories and experiences of Matinecock people and people of color. Because Zion looks different from this angle. We can see new facets of our history, gifts of our legacy that we have forgotten and are called to reclaim, wounds in our history that we have pushed out of mind but are now called to heal. In Donna's research, Zion first appears in the story of Charles Waters, who was the brother of Donna's great-great-great-grandfather, John. Charles and John were of a generation that still spoke Algonquin. He ran a successful farm along what is now Northern Boulevard. Here's Donna reading from her 2014 book, The Life and Customs of My People from the Days Gone By. In 1852, Charles Waters left the reservation and moved into a log cabin home upon the family's homestead property, located at 4329 Cornell Lane. Here residing with Charles and his family was his grandparents, Sylvia and Solomon Hubbs, and Charles's mother, Mary Hubbs Hicks. 
Here the women would cure their own ham and bacon. They would prepare their food supply for the winter during the summer months. Potatoes, cabbage, pork, ham, and bacon. There were no modern improvements, no paved roads, no sidewalks, no lights or gas. The family well was 52 the, the well was 50 to 60 feet deep, and at times the family would keep their milk, butter, and other perishables in a basket let down near the water. Oak and chestnut trees flourished the area. Planting season began in the spring, and by summer the family farm was blooming. Charles also became actively involved with Zion Douglaston Church. He was a warden and vestryman for over 30 years. The vestry is what Episcopal churches call their board of directors, the elected body of lay people who manage parish affairs and exercise leadership. And the warden is the elected chair of that board. So what Donna's research shows us, and this is confirmed in the records we have here at Zion, is that one of the most respected and powerful lay people at Zion in the 19th century was a Matinecock Indian likely a native Algonquin speaker. That's something to celebrate, especially knowing what we do about the way that indigenous people were violently displaced again and again by white settlers across these United States, and indeed right here on Long Island. Given what we know about the way that native people have been dehumanized and their claims to their land have been delegitimized, it should be a point of pride for us that Zion was a place where Charles Waters was not only honored in his basic human dignity, but elected to leadership. Charles Waters served on the vestry until 1894. By that time, he had given up farming and was clamming and oystering, as Native people had for centuries before him. When he died in 1896, Charles Waters was buried in the Waters family burial ground on Northern Boulevard among generations of his Matinecock ancestors. That's when I started to do my research and I started to ask, what happened? You all went to that church. No, what happened? And my aunt, who was the storyteller of the family, I miss her so much. She said, well, she said, times changed, people changed, the community, they changed. The story of Charles Waters suggests that the Matinecock were fully integrated into the Zion community in the 19th century that they were largely shown the respect and dignity they deserved. But then, times changed. The community, they changed. And there's a hint about what may have happened, what may have changed, in Zion's own parish registry. In the entry for the burial of Charles Waters, I'm looking at it here right now. Charles Waters of Little Neck, date of death, October 14th, date of burial, October 17th. Science priest, the Reverend Charles Jeffrey, presided. But right here, where it records the place of burial, it does not say Matinecock Family Burial Ground or Waters Family Burial Ground. It says Colored Cemetery, Little Neck. Matinecock people had been living and working alongside people of African descent since the 17th century both free and enslaved. In the 19th century, Matinecock people who clammed and oystered in Little Neck Bay, just like Charles Waters did, they worked alongside a community of black oystermen. And through those years, marriages had taken place, 
and children were born who were both Native and Black. So likely part of what changed was that Matinecock people became the targets of anti-Black racism. Donna told me that a number of her ancestors worked as nurses in the late 19th century. Anderella Treadwell, Mady Waters, and Lois Waters. And they were harassed on the street, especially at night. Back in the day, they were nurses. That's when they had the capes and the white gloves and the caps and the high heel shoes. And Lois, she worked like all over. She, she cared for everybody. She, as her son said, she treated surly people. But she never like looked at them like that. And all my relatives, if they walked Little Neck Parkway or Northern Boulevard after a certain time in the evening, the people there would throw rocks at them. And here's this nurse, it was the, the lowest, and here she is coming home in the evening in her cape and her hat and everything, and it's dark. One of the surly people that were out um, saw her coming and knew who she was, and he told the people, you throw one rock at her, you're going to have to answer to me. It was the same painful story a generation later when Donna's great-grandmother and her sisters worked as cleaning women in the newly constructed homes of Douglaston Manor. It was not safe for them to walk alone. So they always walked together to work. They stayed in a group of three. And then they would stop at each corner where they had to go clean. One sister would go, then the next sister, and then the last. And whoever was done... You know, at the end of their day, they would come down out of the manor, and if they walked down, well, either way, Northern Boulevard, Little Neck Parkway, they threw sticks at them, they threw stones at them, and they told them to get out, you don't belong here, you know, you're the wrong color, this and that. And they were just coming home from work. And it was the same with the men, Charles Waters Jr. He was a gardener, and so were the, the other Davises and the, the Waters and when they were done at night, they would whistle, and on their way home, they were just like whistling for everybody, like we're coming, so that they would be safe in a crowd. Donna's ancestors had to be savvy to keep themselves safe from harassment and violence on account of their color. On the very land that their ancestors had inhabited for centuries, they were told that they were the ones who didn't belong. It seems that racism was one piece of this, and so were changes in the Douglaston and Little Neck community itself. When Charles Waters was baptized at Zion in 1842, this area was a small community of farmers, shopkeepers, and, and people who worked on the water, fishing and digging for oysters. It wasn't a utopia. We don't imagine that those folks were all close friends. But these families shared deep roots in the area and ties to one another that stretched back generations. In the decades that followed, however, many people moved to the area and they didn't have that shared history. In the 1850s and 60s, the Flushing and Northside Railroad expanded east, connecting this area to Manhattan. The peninsula was subdivided into lots for private homes. And the new arrivals who moved into those homes who, because of restrictive real estate sales practices, were almost all white. They didn't know the Waters family. 
they didn't see people who had lived on this land for centuries. Maybe they just saw people of color, people whose difference they feared and disdained, people they thought they could hassle with impunity. They couldn't even like walk anywhere in their own neighborhood, you know, without being told, get out of here, and you don't, you don't belong here. They just couldn't understand why they weren't um, welcome anymore, and this was their home that they lived on since 1636, and then all of a sudden they were like bad people, low-life people. Why? Because they cleaned people's houses and they took care of their lawns, that they looked down on them. It's hard to fathom the cumulative pain of all those daily indignities. And it's painful to know that when Donna's great-grandmother and her sisters walked past Zion, where their father and uncle Charles Waters had been warden, that they could not be sure if it was a place of safety for them. They could not be sure if they would be welcomed and protected or told they didn't belong there anymore either. Let's come back to Donna's original question. What happened? You all went to that church. You know what happened? Zion changed too. As the Douglasson and Little Neck community changed, so did Zion's membership. And the church where an Algonquin-speaking Matinecock had been warden stood by and did nothing to prevent one of the most painful moments in his family's history and in the history of the Matinecock people. Throughout the 1920s, the Matinecock had been fighting to protect their ancestral burial ground from the city of New York. The burial ground was right on Northern Boulevard, just a quarter mile east of Zion. The city wanted to seize the land, desecrating the graves, in order to widen Northern Boulevard from two to four lanes. In this fight, the Matinecock were led by Chief James Waters, Chief Wild Pigeon, Charles Waters' nephew. Here's Donna reading from her 2006 book, The Long Island Indians and Their New England Ancestors. James Wild Pigeon, heir to her tradition, was resolved to defend the burial ground of his ancestors. He fought the white man with weapons of the whites. He went to court to save the graves of his fathers. The court decided against him, but directed that the bodies be exhumed and buried elsewhere. James stated, even in death, the Indian must move on at the command of the whites. His hope that his body might lie where the worries of his race first had been interred was shattered. This is a complex and important story, which we will return to in the next phase of the Zion History Project. But the gist is this. Chief Wild Pigeon sued the city to prevent the desecration of his ancestors' graves, to protect the place where his father and mother were buried, where his uncle, Charles Waters, was buried. But he lost the suit, bitterly disappointed not only by the defeat, but that no one in Douglaston or Little Neck had taken up the cause. Chief Wild Pigeon's heart gave out in 1927, and four years later, the city marched ahead with their plan. Donna showed me an archival photo of the graves being exhumed. It's dated October 20th, 1931. There's a crowd of spectators, all white, pressed up against a chicken wire fence. 
They are peering down into the space where two men are shoveling earth, testing for the presence of human remains. Inside the fence, standing on a perilously narrow ledge between the fence and a six-foot drop, there are three people of color. My Aunt Oni and Aunt Sue and my, my grandmother's brother is standing on the inside of the fence watching and everybody's on the outside just watching. Oni and Sue were Chief Wild Pigeon's sisters who had continued the struggle against the city's plan after their brother's death. That's why that picture is so powerful and so sad. They were on the inside all alone. It's just the three of them standing there. And um, the whole family all said, we're not going. And they said on that day, they were all going to just stand in, the, in their backyards. And they weren't going to come and watch. And Aunt Oni and Aunt Sue went because they were like the last of the fighters. My Aunt Reem, that's actually my grandmother's aunt, she was standing in her yard, and at that time would have been on the side of Little Neck Parkway. And she said she could actually see them with the remains and putting them all along Little Neck Parkway, little piles, before they took them away. And she turned her head to the side and she saw them. And the then borough president, um, Harvey, said to one of the owners of the antique store that was there, you want to go through those piles before we take them? And he looked, and he looked my aunt straight in the face, and she heard, and he went, oh, no, 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 because she was standing there. These little stories that were told to me, I could just imagine how alone they were. They had no support at all, you know, from no one in the community. As the story of the borough president attests, The city was not careful when it exhumed these graves. It was not respectful of the dead or of their living relatives who had to watch helplessly as the remains were transferred. The city was also not thorough in its work. There are a number of bodies which were unaccounted for and which are now likely under the pavement of Northern Boulevard. Those remains that were exhumed were reinterred in the Zion churchyard. The story for a long time has been that Zion generously received the remains of the Matinecock people. And I will say it is indeed an honor for Zion to be connected to these ancestors and connected to the Matinecock folks who still gather to bury their loved ones among their ancestors. But I can't stop thinking about Chief Wild Pigeon's disappointment that no one from the broader community took up the Matinecock cause to protect their ancestors' remains. We have no record of Zion or anyone from Zion advocating for the protection of that sacred site. Just 30 years after Charles Waters died, the people of Zion did nothing to protect his grave. The stories, I could not believe when I was, all I wanted to know was like, what happened in the church? And then I got all this, that this all happened. What happened? What happened? We don't know. And we may never understand the full story. We have much more work to do on this, but already we can say this. The Matinecock people are a part of Zion's history. But their part in that history 
the pain they experienced at Zion has been forgotten or erased. Donna told me one more story that underscored this tough truth. Fast forward to the early 2000s. Donna has begun her research and is emerging as an authority on Native history. And she's invited to Zion. Paul Graziano, the urban planner, was giving a speech at Zion. And he was talking about the history of Douglaston and Little Neck's land. And I know Paul because he, he grew up behind me in Flushing. And I was his babysitter. So he asked me if I wanted to come because he knows me, knows my history with the waters and the land. So he goes, you want, you want to come and hear my talk? I'm giving a talk in Zion. I said, sure, I'd love to come. He goes, bring your family. So we were all sitting together and we were listening to Paul give, give his speech and talking about the history of the land and over there. And then he goes, oh, he goes, and my friend, the Waters family, who's a descendant of the Waters family, they're actually here today. He said, I want to thank them for coming. He said, Donna, stand up. And I went, no. <laughs> he stand up. And he goes, yeah, her family's been here. And he always gave a little history. He goes, and that's why, you know, I'm so happy to see her. So we sat back down, and he's talking, and the three elderly ladies get up from behind me. Come on, she taps me on my shoulder. She goes, hi. She goes, this is my parish. I'm part of the congregation. And I go, oh, that's so nice. I said, nice to meet you. She goes, no, you don't belong here. And I went, excuse me? And she goes, you don't belong here. She says, your family, you people, you belong to the African church behind us. And that's not here anymore. And I'm sorry, but you don't belong to this church. So it was myself, a friend of mine, my aunt, and my father. And my aunt went, what? <laughs> she goes, don't tell me we don't belong here. She says, my whole family's buried in this churchyard. And she goes, yeah, but she goes, that wasn't from you. That wasn't by choice. She goes, you just don't belong here. So I just said, okay, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to make a scene. I don't want my father to hear because he'll get very angry. So... <laughs> Just by coincidence, Allie Pine Environmental asked me every year to come to their estuary fair every year that they had. And um, Karen at the time, she says, Donna, please come. You always have the best table because it's for the kids. She goes, please, please come. I said, okay. She always put me outside. This year, that year, we were all inside. And when she showed me my table, I said, oh. She put me by those three ladies from the church. So she complained to Karen. She kept telling Karen, why is she here? She doesn't belong here. Her family's not part of this community. And Karen was like, yes, she is. She has every right to be here. We'll, keep, we'll get her away from my table. So Karen said, look, just make the best of it, Donna, please. I said, okay, I will. And it's an all-day thing. So... I'm not going to say everything that she said to me, but all day long she was just like saying mean things to me. You know, you people, black people, you aren't native and you weren't here. And my people, she says, were here first. And you came here and you tried to take over. And I said, I have to say something to her. Not have to be rude, but I have to say something because otherwise she'll think, well, I got her out of here. So I walked up to her and I said, look, I said, I don't know who you think you are. I said, but I've been in bigger 
and better places than this. And people treated me like gold. I said, you should be ashamed of yourself. I said, and you have a nice day. She's a church person. (laughs) How could she act like that? That's terrible. And the other women that were with her, I mean, they didn't say anything. They didn't participate in it. But, you know, you're God-fearing people. How could you let your talk like that? And then, and then when I thought about it, I'm like, no. If there's more people like that, they're just going to make me tell my story more. I said, it's just going to make me stronger to, to tell my story and to knock their stories down. It's tough to say it out loud, but also so important. Racism and the delegitimization of Native life These aren't regrettable parts of science past that we can just brush aside as ancient history. These are wounds in our legacy that are a part of living memory. They are a part of our present. And we have the opportunity and the responsibility to help heal those wounds now. Again, we have much more work ahead of us in attending more fully to the history of the Matunakak and other Native people on whose land Zion stands. We've just heard little slivers of that much larger and more complex history in this episode. But it feels important to share these stories here and now because they show us that racist hierarchies are a part of Zion's history, a history that stretches from our founders who enslaved at least 43 human beings to Donna being told that she and her family don't belong at Zion, that they don't belong in this community. And we can expect that the wounds of this legacy will endure unless we take action to heal them. And healing begins by telling the truth, by listening to Donna as she knocks down the stories that leave her and her family out, by telling a new story of Zion that keeps the call of justice at the center. Thin Places is a podcast experiment from Zion Episcopal Church in Douglaston, Queens, produced by me, Father Carl Adair. Our music is by Nick Marcella. Many, many thanks to Donna, Gentle Spirit Baron, for telling her story. We'll hear from her again, to be sure. We'll be back to continue this work on Zion's history in a few weeks. Until then, peace be with you.